Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Hyland Podcast. Thanks again for joining me. Look forward to this conversation for a while. Good buddy of mine, Jordy Mayo. How are you, Jordy? Hey, how's it going? What's up? I'm good. Just getting ready for the holiday here. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is like the last, well, I got one more class and then, um, then it's then done. It's, yeah, then it's so done well. and enjoy, eat, drink and be merry and then, <laughs> then get back on the path because I know you've got a uh, second degree black belt testing coming up here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's coming up quick too. I remember, um, it was like four months ago, you know, I was doing the, uh, the fitness side, working out in there and, and, uh, I believe Ben is going to join me on, on that test and I'm not sure who else exactly, but, uh, Ben would come in and I'd look at him, I'd go, seven months ben seven more months and boom here we are it's already december so yeah it's, it's gone right. by so fast it's yeah. gone by so fast so tell me a little bit about you and you know yeah. jordy mayo the person yeah there's a lot to that just like anybody else there's a lot of layers but um born and raised in colorado uh, i was born in denver uh, way back when back in the 1900s and uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh moved to uh parker in uh 82 and my father had died uh beginning of that year january of 82 we lived in denver but they were my mom and him were in the middle of building the house east of parker out in the country and uh so he passed away and and uh it's uh it's a crazy story but yeah so she um yeah that was that's quite a tragic thing i think yeah that how old were you when he died? I, I was nine. Yeah, that's um, that's a rough rough age to lose your dad. Yeah, it was rough. And there's, you know, my dad, my my parents were, you know, like my mom was kind of the hippie, and my dad was more of a biker, and so I'd seen some crazy stuff, you know, just in in you know growing up in the, you know, in the seventies and right up into the early eighties, right there. But um, yeah, so he died uh, on his motorcycle. He got hit um on uh what is that jordan and lincoln in that intersection and the crazy part of that is my future bus driver she was the first one there on that scene she she found him and um yeah so anyway yeah um, must have looked must have looked a lot different back then absolutely than it, it does fields and now dirt roads back then and now you've got all that uh housing around it and Obviously, you know, that intersection is there's like gas stations and liquor stores and, you know, King Supers and all that stuff over there. But yeah, so he uh, he passed away and then my mom uh, remarried uh, pretty quickly uh, to a Denver County uh, uh, sheriff's uh, deputy. And um, growing up in that house was pretty crazy. It was uh, he was very abusive, physically, mentally. Um, he was an alcoholic and he, you know, took it out on us. And I, I'd seen a lot of stuff, you know, uh, living in that environment. It was rough for a long time. And, uh, there were some dark days growing, you know, into, into who I am today. But, you know, I would say, um, I left home pretty early and, uh, he and I got into a, a really bad altercation. I was 16. I was almost 17. And like I said, he'd been physically abusive and, and that kind of thing. And so I, I finally got to an age where I was like, I'm not taking any more of this. And uh, I fought back. And he was the biggest, scariest guy in my life at that time. And, and I actually got the better of him at that moment. And that was it. Um, I had to leave. And I got kind of booted. And so, like I said, I was almost 17 years old. And I was just bouncing from couch to couch with nothing but the clothes I was wearing that day, I had nothing else in my possession and, uh, kind of made it 
you know, here and there, and I was still trying to go to school. And, um, you know, then I eventually got a job, you know, as a dishwasher and, you know, kind of just kind of trying to rub two pennies together. And, um, you know, I, I did it for a little while and then eventually something had to give between, uh, work, uh, part-time, um, going to school part-time, I guess. And, uh, partying because that's kind of what I ended up doing. I was rebelling. Yeah. That age is so, so tough anyways, never coming from, you know, loss of your father, then an abusive stepfather. That's not an easy road. Yeah. It was was rough at all. I I was very angry too. I mean, as you can imagine, and I was, uh, dealing with bullies in school. You know, I was that kid who, uh, loved heavy metal. You know, there was a small group of us and, and, you know, growing up in Parker at that time, there was the, uh, the typical clicks, you know, that you get in school, you know, there was the jocks and there was a lot of kids who had money. And, you know, we were just like the, the group of guys, you know, my brothers that we stuck together and we had long hair and we listened to heavy metal and we got picked on a lot. And, uh, I was the smallest guy out of my group of friends, but I had the biggest mouth, the biggest attitude. And that's, so, a, that's a big surprise. Yeah. Weird. I don't know where that came from. I don't from. know where uh, that kid were to come yeah. from. <laughs> so I, I stood up, um, there was a kid, um, you know, he was more like a man. He, the guy was huge and I was still a scrawny kid. I was in 10th grade and, and, um, he had said some stuff to our group in the hallway one time. And I found out, uh, I, I kind of regret saying it now, but I had found out his sister, uh, had died previously, you know, uh, within a month or so before this. And so I used it against him cause I couldn't beat him physically. I had to use verbal yeah. weapons and he just lost it. And, um, <laughs> I remember, so this is at Ponderosa High School, and uh, he he was like, that's it, and he threw his books down and chased me, and I, I took off like a jackrabbit pew, down the hallways and turned some corners, and he was right on me. He was, he was a, a rugby player, you know, played football, that kind of stuff. Well, they had um, the middle school uh, kids coming in to visit the high school that day, that very moment. So I made it to the uh, main stair staircase there in the school. We're up on the second floor and I flew down those stairs and there's a crowd of kids coming in at that moment. And I like took two, like, this sounds like an exaggeration, but I swear to you, I took two steps, one off the top of the stairs landed in the, in, on the landing in the middle and another jump off of that into that crowd of kids. And was like trying to just scramble my way through all these kids coming in the door. And here's this big hulking gorilla of a guy coming after me. And I made it through the, the front entry and turned around and looked behind me and typical uh, horror movie scenario. I look behind me to see where the killer is and I trip and fall. Oh gosh. <laughs> and so he comes up, starts kicking me in the ribs and you know, the teachers are pulling him off of me and they put him in one section of the office and stick me in another section. And I could hear him just tearing the place apart, you know? And from, from that point on, it was like, uh, you either love me for standing up and kind of, you know, this David versus Goliath kind of situation, I guess, only I wasn't holy, but, uh, or, uh, you hated me for using, you know, his pain against him. Kind yeah. of deal. So I, I was kind of like, you know, there was no middle road for me. So yeah, school was, it was rough for me. Yeah. Did you rough. finish? Unfortunately I did not. Um, I was uh, too immature and, I can look back on it now and realize what was going on. I just didn't have a good home base. And so I dropped out halfway through my senior year. I was so close. So close. Yeah. But you know, like something had to give and and it was school. Yeah. Trying to, trying to survive on your own at that age. 
Yeah. I, mean, I, I The other thing is I didn't have uh, good transportation. Like I didn't have a car. Um, I didn't even get my license till I was 18. You know, I had no parents to sign yeah. for me. So I was signing, like in school, I was signing my own paperwork. When you registered for school, yeah. I was doing my, like, there you go. And it wasn't like I was legally uh, emancipated or anything like that. It was just like, I, I was wild, you know, it was kind of feral. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least so, you, I mean, you were taking that initiative to stay in school I tried, by yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's real difficult. I mean, a lot of kids in that situation would just kind of take off and F school completely. But then it is, something's got to give. Like, we, yeah, it's hard enough to survive out here as adults, never mind, mm-hmm. you know, going to school. Yeah, I mean, and it, you trying know, to have a job. And where were you living at that point? You're still bouncing to friends. So, houses? yeah, I'd, I'd met a girl, um, her mom. Um, felt bad for me, I guess, and, and took me in. So I was staying with them for quite a while. And, um, you know, it was kind of a, a tough situation because she was my girlfriend and I'm living at her house with her mom and brothers. And, you know, so I, I, I they were very nice people. And uh, I was there for about a year, but um, I got out of school and uh, my sister, who was four years younger than me, um, was living in Denver. So I left school and ended up moving down to Denver and, um, you know, lived a wild portion of my life down there with her. And, uh, she was only like 15 and, uh, met up with her, but eventually I met a, met an, another, you know, gal and, and we got married and I got married. I did everything wrong, man. I mean, it was like, what, what I mean by that is you're let loose at an early age. You don't have any good direction. You just kind of, you know, you're out there on your own. And, and so, you need someone to kind of take care of you and, and, you know, you need kind of this, this home base to kind of settle in on. And so I got married and, uh, I was 20 and almost 21 and, and we were married for seven years and we had a couple kids together and that's my son and daughter, my oldest. Yeah. And, um, we divorced in, after seven years, we divorced and then she passed away, um, a few years after that and she died. And so, you know, I took my kids in, of course, I, I was always part of their life, but it was now full time. Yeah. And, um, how old were the kids then? They were nine and when five. They like, so similar yeah, to yourself. It, so here's the weird part about that, that you bring that up is that, so when my father died, I was nine, my sister was five and it was our father. And then when my kids mom, you know, right, the opposite, you know, she, female, she dies and my daughter is nine and my son is five. And it was just really yeah, strange but yeah it was weird. a hard time um i ended up uh i was really into music um was in a band and we weren't really that good um so during that time it was kind of you know it was good for me uh as far as using i was the singer of the band using my lyrics to kind of help cope with all of that yeah i think and that's a lot of singers that band um we basically my guitar player michael he's he and I are still really good friends. We kind of said no more. We're going to rebuild the band. And, uh, him and I started a band called Killbox and uh one L. So we chose a single L because it was balanced. We felt like two L's was weird. You know, yeah. lettering when you're doing designs and stuff. So anyway, um, went from, uh, basically being in every crappy band around, um, in, in all of a sudden, became really successful in this band uh, around the Denver area. And um, I know I'm probably jumping around a little bit, but um, yeah, I went 
and, and did that. And, um, it was just really a wild, more wild times for me. You know, I've got these kids at home and I'm out practicing, uh, three nights a week, religiously, just going to practice, going to practice and playing shows, um, twice a month, going out there, selling merch and doing all this stuff. And we, we exploded. We were on the radio and we were doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, that only lasted a couple of years in uh, the band. Long story, but we, we didn't have any way of really knowing how to manage it. And I'm kind of a, a jerk when it comes to when I have a direction I want to see things go into. I, I tend to take over and it was kind of button heads with everybody else. So yeah. The band just kind of decided it was time to end it. And so the band ended and then within a year I had joined a uh, outlaw motorcycle club, one of the top five, uh, here in, in the United States. And so joined a, uh, one percenter motorcycle club and that was rough. You know, you have to, uh, get in and I didn't know anybody in, in that club or anything like that. I just decided, you know, I bought a Harley and, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I started hanging out. I figured out where these guys were, where the clubhouse was. And I went in and started hanging out with them. And, um, within uh, about six months, I started prospecting and that's, that's basically where you're, you're an apprentice. Uh, I joke, I always joke and say, you're an apprentice gang member is what it is. But, yeah. um, that but takes, they call a, it prospecting. Yeah. It's a prospect. And so you're a prospective member. That takes about a year of just hell. And I had been socked up a little bit. And because, like I said earlier, I have a kind of an attitude and I have a mouth. And I'm like, I'm not going to be bullied. You know, I'm not going to let these anybody bully me. And so that was kind of like, you know, one of those things where you get socked around a little bit and slapped around. And, but I never, uh, never tucked my tail. And so eventually, uh, patched out, fully patched and I became, uh, an enforcer in the club for three of those years. I was in total, you know, between hanging out and by the time I got out seven years. So three of those years I was an enforcer, which really just means that, uh, you're, you're doing guard duty all the time. Um, you're protecting your, your boss and, you know, in the club and from other gangs. Uh, you're just... you're, you're kind of. Yeah. Kinda. So there's a lot to it. It's, it's very, um, I don't know. There's a lot of detail in there, but I was always good at talking. Um, with the police, like I'm not intimidated by people. So I, I was able to, you know, I could read a situation and realize, you know, Hey, like just if you relax and just be cool, you know, you can talk to the cops, they're just doing their job. And so I was also really good at scrapping and I could fight. And so it's kind of one of those things like, well, you know, you fit the, the mold, I guess. So, yeah. um, not a very big intimidating guy, but you know, ferocious when needed, you know, so it kind of, was well here you go here's a job for you and i think too it was a way for them to control like get me because i was drinking a lot and like as an enforcer you're not allowed to uh partake so yeah you got to keep a clear head yeah so, you got to be the sober one <laughs> yeah so you got to keep an eye on everybody and make sure they're safe you know yep so yeah um, that's an important job yeah in, so, that, in that lifestyle yeah for sure like, and so seven years of that and then uh, my boys my twin boys uh were born and they were born premature. And I mean, way premature. They were each one pound, 12 ounces and one pound, 13 ounces. And so I realized that I couldn't do both. I couldn't be, um, you know, this, uh, this 
this biker guy that I, this persona I had kind of created because it wasn't really really me. Um, I couldn't do that 100% and I couldn't have these kids in the hospital and leave my wife, you know, because I was expected to be places and go out of state and do all this stuff. And it was like, so I took the the high road and, and uh, made the call. I didn't even talk to my wife about it, but I was like, hey, I, I, I'm going to quit the club. And so I did and everybody was cool about it. And, you know, they're like, oh, if you ever decide to come back, you know, you're always welcome. But um, so within uh, a few months, maybe um that's when i found krav maga and i had seen back in the day your gym was down the other side of the town yeah and i kept seeing uh the sign or whatever and i was like what like i didn't know what it was krav maga what is that i thought it was some sort of new fitness fad and so one day i just had enough i keep seeing this what is this so i went home googled it and i found some videos and i was like that's what i'm talking about right there i saw it and i was like yes that's what i'm saying <laughs> So I came yeah, in. it's such a good outlet for people, you know, regardless, never mind, like trying to make a lifestyle switch, you know, you have that outlet, you have that, I'm still doing something. I always say, you know, been big on lately talking about it, like, be brave, be dangerous, be a man. Don't be this weak little bunny rabbit. Yeah. Like you got to know when to control it and when to use it. But I think it's just a great outlet. Even like, you know, mm -hmm. people have a big success, you know, um, that are alcoholics and switching and finding something. I mean, I've had taught tons and tons of people that are just on the road to sober and just finding, you know, okay, I can do Krav Maga or any martial art for that matter. I, I think it really gives people some direction yeah. and that I, type I of totally stuff. I totally agree with you there because there was, um, you know, I, I had just come out of this, like you said, this transition of, you know, where I was and where I was going to end up being here soon. But, you know, there was a lot of going out and, and drinking and partying and just, you know, really just doing things, you know, the wrong, the wrong way. And when I started Krav, when I, when I came in and I realized this is exactly what I needed um, in my life, I needed this, this, I don't know, structure, discipline, uh, you know, all that hard work that you, you are yourself doing. Nobody's making you do it. You're doing it. Um, I didn't want to go out and drink because I knew if I did, I wouldn't be able to come in and train. I would feel like crap. And so for me, it was like, this is more important than all that, you know, all that other stuff I'd been doing for a very long time that had actually gotten me nowhere. Um, I was dancing with the devil for so long that I knew in the back of my head, eventually it's going to catch me. I, I, you know, I was doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. It's very, a very risky lifestyle doing all that crazy stuff. And, um, you know, there's a lot to it, but when I walked in the door and I had, uh, the first trial class, I remember talking to you, you were like, so what'd you think? You know? And I was like, it, it's exactly what I needed. I remember saying that this is exactly what I needed. Yeah. And I signed up right there on the spot. And as a matter of fact, I think, uh, coach Pam was teaching that class. And I remember, you know, I thought I was in pretty good shape. Um, and then after that class, seeing stars, I had tunnel vision, I couldn't get enough oxygen in me. And I was like, man, I'm not as tough as I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the way I felt. Uh, <laughs> I think the first hour or two into uh, Krav Maga instructor training, I'm like, I thought I was in shape for this, but I'm not. <laughs> so I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, Rev Gear. 
RevGear.com has the best Krav Maga Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, and boxing gear. It is used by world champions. It is absolutely fantastic. I love the new S5 boxing gloves. They are fantastic. Their technology is just amazing that goes into these gloves. I always tell people, you know, the difference between this glove and that glove, it's like having roll-up windows and power windows. Those top-of-the-line S5s are worth every penny for when you're training hard. Fantastic gear. You can visit revgear.com and use the code JH podcast 10 to save 10% off. That's all uppercase JH podcast 10 online at revgear.com. If you're in the Douglas County area, stop into the gym and you get 15% off any of our RevGear products by mentioning the John Hallett podcast. Well, how old were you at that mm. point when you joined Krav Maga? Um, I want to say I was 43, I think. 43. Yeah. So it, you know, depending on how you see the world, um, it's kind of a late start, perhaps. I mean, I really honestly wish I had started 20 years prior. Yeah. You know, um, but I started, you know, and I kept coming. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. No yeah. matter how, like, how yeah. old, I mean, I think that's how so many, I mean, gosh, I mean, I started martial arts at 19 and I wish I started at nine. <laughs> right. So I think that's kind of a common common feeling between yeah. uh, amongst people that find a passion and find it, you know, like, wait, this is what I needed all along. And like, I wish I was doing it earlier. Yeah. But as I tell everybody, you just got to start. It doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, 60. Yeah. Start, you can make that lifestyle change. It's, a, it's up to you to decide. And, and you're a testament to that of being an individual that, I'm going to change. I'm going to quit this lifestyle and I'm going to make a change. Yeah. I walked in, uh, it was 2015 and you know, here we are today, you know, all these years later, still here. Um, still just really doing the best I can, you know, every time I walk in, whether it's uh, coaching or whether I'm training, you know, there's obviously, you know, life throws little curveballs at you and there's times where you can't make it. But the key to the, all of that, I believe, is just consistency. You know, you say it all the time, consistent. Just keep coming in. And, and yes, maybe you got to take two weeks off or a month off. You know, maybe you've got some injuries or there's some crazy stuff in your life that's going on. But you come back, you know. Yeah, you get back on the path. Open. I'm like, God, just get back on the path. You, know, you, you name it, life th throws so much at us. Yeah. It's just crazy. I mean, actually, I was telling somebody – I was talking to um, I know a good buddy that the podcast reconnected me to. I haven't talked to him since high school. Um, fantastic buddy. And he was like, where were you at the 20th reunion? And I've been thinking my class didn't have a 20th reunion. I'm like, what the heck was wrong? Like, I decided to go to first degree black belt testing on that. It was either first or second. They all blend together. Right. But I decided, I'm like, I've been training for this. Oh man, I'd really like to reconnect with some old buddies and see how people are doing after all this time. But it was actually a decision I made not to go to my high school reunion. That stuff comes up and I'm like, but your parents are sick. Your kid's sick. Yeah. You know, you change jobs and people just use it as an excuse. You're like, who oh, cares? Man. Get back on. All the coaches here, any good gym are just happy to see people back on the path, yeah. getting back on it. Who cares? I think people just, oh, our coaches, I hear it so much. My coach is going to be mad. I had a member I signed up 
I felt, oh, I didn't really want to start back there because I felt the coaches were going to be mad. Now, it was a different location. She said, I'm like, what are you crazy? You, you should have started back with your coaches. Yeah, your they coach, would have been happy to see you. Your coaches, yeah, exactly. Your Not coach disappointed is be in you. Like, hey, it's, you know, where have you been? You know, that kind of thing. And yeah, you get back on it yeah. and it's just back on the way. I'm a testament to life throwing you all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's, believe me, I mean, I, I am not uh, just sitting in this little peaceful bubble. Like I, you know, it is constant, you know, it's, it's better now in my old age, quote yeah. unquote, but uh, it's still, I'm, I'm, I'm a 50 year old man raising uh, seven year old twins. And, you know, as you can imagine, little yep. kids take a lot of energy out of you, you know, uh, yeah. and dad. you have sole custody of them, right? Uh, yeah. It, I have custody of them and um, you know, they get to see their mom and you know, they have good visits and all that stuff. So she's still in their life, but it's uh, it's me getting up every day, getting them dressed, getting their lunches made, getting them out the door and, you know, doing all that, picking them up from school. And, you know, every time one of them is sick, the phone call from the school telling me you got to come get your kid. He's he's coughing, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like, OK, you know, it's, I'm not uh, rolling in money here. And, you know, I times are tough all over. You know, the old Cheech and Chong saying goes, but um <laughs> You do what you got to do, and that includes training. I mean, I really feel, uh, as the father of my family, as the man of my family, I'm in charge of security. That's that's my responsibility. Nobody else is going to do it, and um, I take that seriously. And so, it's the training itself has kind of led me to really, really believing that more and more as time has gone on. That it's up to me. To help these boys grow into men, the men I want them to be, uh, you know, good, good, uh, polite young men uh, who can handle themselves and, and know right from wrong and don't have a heart full of excuses as to, you know, oh, it's too hard and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, things are hard. They, they are. But when you uh, get past it, you feel so much better about accomplishing it, whatever that is, whether it's your workout or whether it's you know, the task at hand, whatever that is. Yeah. Of, yeah. Going through a divorce and it's brutal. Yeah. Like things are, things tough. are hard and you know, mm -hmm. you just got to keep on it. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what life throws at you and it's always something. And I think you do a fantastic job oh, with those you. boys. I mean, they're so polite. I mean, they're wild, but boys should be wild. <laughs> right? I mean, be, like yeah. they should be, um, but they're super polite and they're great. I mean, I see them work with the girls in class and, they're super polite and, you know, I mean, one's a, he's a future little playboy, I will say. <laughs> that might not be the right word, but. Uh, yeah, he's a he's, player. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely likes to talk to the girls. Yeah. Um, he's a sweet boy. I, mean, I see him at school, I pick him up, you know, from the classrooms and all, he's he's just like, bye. All the girls come up to him, bye. I, I don't want to name which one, but, uh, you know, bye. And they give him hugs. And yeah. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, yeah charmer, they're giving hugs. Yeah, he's a little charmer. That's for sure. That's a better word. He's a charmer. Yeah. So, but you do a great job. And I think through adversity, it's like not been easy. And I think that's the testament. That what makes a black belt of like, I've had it tough and I'm just going to keep toughing it out. And I think... You know, it gets better and better as you go. I've seen you develop so much over the years. It's crazy. I mean, it's like one of those things that makes you proud as a coach. And when you, you know, fight the suck of, you know, running a business, which, you know, sometimes you're like, geez, it's just freaking business. But it it's all hard. No matter what you're doing, exactly. 
you know, walk in somebody's shoes and, you know, there's those hard days in, in every profession and running the gym, you're like being on the floor is the, the easy part. That's what everybody yeah. kind of gets into, you know, being a gym owner of any sort, but it's that back end, it's that grind. It's, you know, yeah, that, people, that man behind the curtain that nobody sees, you yeah. know, that you've got to do, uh, you know, I have barely an inkling of what you need to do to keep the doors open and the lights on in this place. And I respect that fully, you know, that's, uh, there's not too many people in the world. I, I don't think that can handle it. You know, that. Yeah. Well, so to. many gyms go out in the first year mm -hmm. and, you know, I think I come from a workaholic family. Yeah. So you're like, okay. And it's something I'm passionate about. Um, yeah, that's, you, you say workaholic. I, I remember, uh, I don't know why it sparked a memory. So I, you know, in my, in my adolescence, in my early adulthood, was getting in a lot of trouble and getting arrested and, and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And um, I remember I was still at home. I think I, uh, I think I ran away or something like that. And, and one of the you know county cops picked me up. And I, I'll never forget what he said to me. He knew I was having a tough time at home and, and that sort of thing. But he, he told me, he gave me a little piece of advice. And at the time, I was just a kid, you know, whatever I was, you know, 14, 15. So it, it kind of just kind of bounced off. But it, later in life, I remember thinking back and he said, get through this best you can right now. And when you get out, you know, on your own, go get a job, learn a trade, learn a trade. And that was just something, I don't know why it stuck to me, but it was like, well, I'm not going to be a, a scientist. I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to like, it was just school for me sucked. So I realized I had to do something with my hands and I, I did. And I learned, you know, how to do a lot of stuff actually. But the point being is that it was hard work that I could go, you know, kind of escape from all the, the BS at home and put my mind on creating and doing stuff and building stuff. And it got me through some hard times and, you know, it's, you know, rather than flipping burgers, you know, 50 years old, you know, or, you know, whatever. I'm not knocking people who do that, but it was, I got, in a way, I feel like I got lucky. You know, it's yeah. just these little tidbits of that. Yeah, that was, you know, that was good advice. Yeah. I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors. Hold on tight. Jordy and I will be back in a second. Self-defense is the greatest tool you have to preserve life, mostly yours. So when situations pop up and you need to take safety into your own hands, Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness is here to help you train in life-saving techniques to make sure that you go home safe. So to learn more, go to rmsdf.com. That's rmsdf.com to sign up for a trial class to start your training today. Remember, you fight like you train, so train hard, train smart, and train with Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness today. Making the change we want is the hardest choice we have to make. There is no time like now to get into shape and make health your priority. Stop hesitating and join Clear Sky Training now. We utilize proven and effective regimens created by our in-house team of health professionals to get you stronger, quicker, and happier. To join, simply go to clearsky.training and sign up for one of our convenient classes. We love to work with all fitness levels from beginners to advanced. So make the choice, make the change, and join Clear Sky Training today. Yeah, it was something my father said 
to me, he, him being in the trades of, you know, learn a trade even when I was young. And it was like, I think he had the direction I'd go to college and be, be quote, better than him. Um, I think that was always a big part of his drive and um, parenting. But he was like, you can always do your own stuff. You can fix your own <laughs> toilet. You can clear a clogged drain. You can build your own house. And I was never so thankful. Mm -hmm. You know, when I built my own house, it really helped me get this, get a start in business later when I sold it of building it for yourself, of learning a trade. And he used to make me work with every trade. Nice. So I knew, well, I mean, he was also grooming me at, at a certain point to be, to take over the family contracting. contracting business of know the trade, know what goes into every trade. So he would make me apprentice with everybody. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I'm thankful to this day. And I think, you know, sometimes I always go, oh, well, if the gym gets too hard. I could always go back to building houses because <laughs> um, yeah. you feel like I think it's accomplishing when you when you do that manual trade, you're you're producing something. Yeah. Like whatever yeah. it is, you can see at the end of the day that I did stuff. Sometimes at the gym, I'm making videos, you're doing this and that. You're talking to people, hoping they come in the gym. Some days you're like, I don't even know what I did today, yeah. but I worked my ass off and I don't know if it's going to come to fruition to feed my family. But when you're building the house, you're like, all right, I got the first floor framed up. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> we got something done today. I lived up in the mountains um, for a number of years, way up uh, near Fairplay in, in the town of Alma. And um, when I lived up there, I got on board working with uh, these guys who were building log cabins. And, I, you know, I didn't know anything about building houses, but uh, they, they didn't mind, you know, taking on a kid who... Didn't know anything and, and kind of molding me. And so it was cool. We got to, you know, do stuff with chainsaws and, you know, build a house. So there's a house right there in Fairplay um, that 20 some odd years ago I helped build. And it's there it is. And yeah, time I there. go up there to visit, you know, and kind of look around. And same thing uh, in the Denver skyline. You know, I can look at uh, certain buildings, you know, downtown and go, yeah, I worked on that. I worked on that, you know, and there it is. It's going to be there for a hundred yeah, plus years probably. It's, you know? Yeah. It's super satisfying. We used to do a lot of historic remodels. Mm. Um, right when you get off the, uh, the ferry on Nantucket Island going down and, you know, we redid and it was an old, uh, carriage house or carriage house or something of that nature. And it had been a gazillion things over the years. And yeah. we brought that back historically. Nice. Um, you had to, uh, comply with some things um, for the historic district commission right. of saving certain amount of the building and then building it all back. And, you know, it's still there and looking this historic building and, you know, other buildings that we brought back and we had some great customers that really, that's what they wanted to do is just restore the house back to what it was and yeah. not wreck it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up in a house that I believe was like the 1700s. Creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but the people that bought it um, from my parents, like, kind of came in, and this was in the '80s, and they totally, essentially, I mean, it was. Oh, I had a beehive oven. I mean, this was mm. it was the original. The kitchen was pretty darn big, but that was the original house. That was the original cabin, homestead. That was it, kind of thing. And then they built the colonial onto it. But these people kind of wrecked it. And then later people came back to my parents and said, do you have pictures of what it looked like? We want to put it back. 
hmm, these people essentially ruined this historic house. I yeah. mean, it was, it had the historic plaque for Sheldonville, Massachusetts. And, you know, it was a really pretty house, but it had a lot of history. Yeah. In it, it's actually where um, the, ho- the house was haunted. Um, it had a birth sure. and death room. Um, I lived in, I think it was like maybe the office because it had a secret gun case. Um, and the, it was great for hide and go seek. And it was great for my little <laughs> 20 caliber Sheridan uh, pellet gun that we could hide in there. But it was an old office. There was bedrooms over the years. I mean, every single room had a fireplace. It was crazy. Wow. I mean, but I used to tell my parents, like, it's haunted. It's yeah. haunted. Well, I think was, about like the houses we live in today. You know, it's like, well, like the house my my dad started building and and didn't get to finish but you know we we lived there think of the energy that was you know in the family the very first family my family that lived in that home boom and all the bad stuff and all even the good stuff whatever it was just all that stuff that happened in that that little portion of time the next family whoever that is and what may have happened in that home and so here you are you know 200 years or whatever oh i mean yeah they had uh, family history from the Civil War. Crazy. I mean, they, I mean, they, my parents bought it from like the family or, you know, descendants of the first owners mm. of it. But I used to tell my parents that there's a man coming up the stairs. My, it's haunted. You know, go back to your room, go back to bed. <laughs> it's <laughs> Johnny, not, it's go not back haunted. And I was really sick as a kid. Yeah. Um, they, it wasn't really quite asthma, but that's what they kind of diagnosed me with. I mean, I was in and out of children's hospital all the time around, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade is when I moved, we, we packed up and moved to Nantucket Island. And it was funny, like when I moved there and there was something that, you know, the doctors, you're going to grow out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, I thought my parents thought, um, up until I think I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe senior year, but it was somewhere around there that they, my parents went, well, we heard from these people that bought the house. And one of the neighbors said that was still living, you know, there went, that sounds a lot like what the kid that used to live there had. Weird. And yeah. And I'm like, they moved him out of the room and he was fine. Wow. And I was like, see, I told you as a little kid that my room was haunted. (laughs) You sent me back into my room. You're bad parents. But yeah, it was very weird that I'm like. And, uh, yeah, God, I wanted to connect with the kid, but we never did. I was like, I want to, can I want to talk to this yeah. kid? Like, what was his dreams? Like, yeah. you know, it's always something that has fascinated me, um, over the years. Cause Crazy. there was a, there was an old, we, we, one of the period restorations we did was, uh, the old sheriff's house. Um, and it had the jail was in the mm. basement and there was not <laughs> a lot of walkout, you know, Nantucket is not very hilly. There's not a lot of walkout kind of basements and, mm-hmm. They kind of had a walkout basement and that's where the jail was. And I almost shot my dad with a nail gun because I was so freaked out on the job site one day. I was there working alone and two by fours were falling. Oh no. Or at least I thought on the second floor, but I was working in the basement and I'd hear stuff and I'm like, oh, the plumbers showed up. You know, somebody just came in. I didn't hear the truck. I must've went up there two or three times. Nobody's there. Nothing. And I'm like, Man, I got a bad energy about this house. I don't know. And my dad was famous for sneaking up, sneaking <laughs> onto the job site and making sure I was working. Right. Um, Typ- so he would park. The, yeah, he would park down the street. 
And he came up behind me and I had a framing gun in my hand and I'm like, oh my God, I almost shot him. I was like, I was doing Taekwondo at the time. I was like, I was like, I was either going to kick yeah. you or I was going to shoot you. I'm like, do not sneak up on me in this house again. I'm like, I am like, he's like, what? I'm like, stuff has fallen upstairs. Yeah. And it's not even like it's a windy day on Nantucket. I'm like, stuff's fallen upstairs I like had a, two or three times. I had a freaky experience uh, years ago. I was working up in Avon up in the mountains and a friend of mine had a, uh, his family had a cabin in Frisco and when I say cabin, I mean, basically a, like a kind of a mini mansion, <laughs> All right? it's a log cabin, but it was really nice. And so he's like, you can stay there if you want, you know, during the week. And I'm like, thanks man. Instead of driving back and forth every day to Castle Rock from Avon. And so I get there and, you know, never been there before. And I get in and I'm looking around and checking everything out and, you know, tons of bedrooms in the basement and a few bedrooms on the main floor and then the master bedroom upstairs and so I'm like all right so I settle in getting ready for bed and uh I lay down and I start hearing all kinds of stuff downstairs it sounds like things are rattling and shaking and I'm like what is going on like you know it just I kept going down there and there was nothing down there and I kept get back to bed and almost to the point where I'd fall asleep I'd start hearing stuff rattling and just doing all this crazy noise like stuff dropping finally I got irritated and I I yelled out shut the beep you know up you know stop it you know I figured I'm like this place is haunted and I, I yelled knock it off you know and everything settled down and so I told my friend who owned the place I told him about it he goes oh yeah my uh my ex-wife's um father committed suicide in that house I'm like are you kidding me I'm like well, thanks for letting me know, man. <laughs> thanks I appreciate for letting it. me know. <laughs> yeah, actually, that same house, it makes me think of a story. It was right, it was like a day or two after Christmas. My dad had a brand new work flannel and he was lighting the, like, the mushroom propane heater mm -hmm. to light the house and he caught on fire. Yeah, I remember you saying something. And about he's that. like, Mike, and it goes back to training. Like, if you don't train it, it doesn't matter what. Yeah, I'm like, stop, drop, and roll, dad. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> like, Dad, you're on fire. And it's like creeping up almost to his hair. Yeah. I'm like, stop, drop, and roll. And he's not. So I tackle him. Of course, he's pissed off. But I mean, it just <laughs> makes me think, you know, when people say they're going to do stuff and mm -hmm. they don't train it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's something as simple as like, yeah, you know, fire. stop, drop, and roll. You're on fire. And people panicking or going, what the heck are you even talking about? Like yeah. in that stressful scenario, if somebody just... Hey, you're on fire. What? I'm on what? You're on fire. Stop, drop, and roll. And when people like, you know, talk about self-defense or different things of that nature, and I'm like, man, it is not easy. It yeah. is not. It's ugly. You know, as you know, it's violent. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, you don't want to, but you got to stand up for your clan, whatever it is. It's not pretty. Or even, you know, just you alone. It's like, there's a really hard thing for people to do and that is turn the switch i i think a lot of people are just general genuinely nice people and most people have not been in a violent situation so it's hard to turn on that violent switch and to know when to do it because you'll see it in training like why are you letting that person get up so close to you what you know obviously they're being a threat or they're they're acting at you know in our training when we do that yeah. sort of thing or People or maybe panic. there's a hesitation, you know, somebody's coming at you with a stick or the knife and you're hesitating. Like, there's that hesitation. And it's, I think 
in my own experience, there's that like knowing when to turn it on and then like dealing with like, am I going to get in trouble if I do turn it on that there's kind of this self talk yeah. there too. Like, like people are always concerned. Yeah. It, you know? And you're like, and somebody could stab you. Yeah. Like, I mean, whatever it may be. I mean, I mean, just one punch. I mean, there's mm. been fights. I mean, there was a, one I always reference in outside of Boston that when I was teaching that way that, you know, they just got into the stupid parent um, fight after a hockey game and the bigger guy just hauled off and hit him mm. and he bounced off the grounds and he died of yeah, his injuries of one punch, you know. We always say, don't count on one punch in the fight, but sometimes that's happen. all it takes is one punch or one one cut from a knife, yeah. even if they're, I didn't mean to kill you. Yeah. Like kind of that, that um, I should put it on or link to it, that one we posted on band where those boys were just being stupid boys and one cut to the knife, one cut to the throat yeah. and you're done. Yeah, that was, that was it. That was a brutal video. Yeah, it's horrible <laughs> it's to like, watch. Oh um, but you're like, learn from people's mistakes yeah. and don't posture up against a guy with a knife. Why would you want to posture up? But it was a guy like trying to express his dominance when the better thing would have been to be like, you know what? Yeah. I can just walk away from this situation. Yeah. Instead of having to. That's a hard thing for, uh, for guys, guys, I think. You know, I know. In in my life, there's a lot of that. Uh, I, I can think back on uh, many times where there was like, you know, the whole, like, like you said, posturing and, you know, puffing up the chest. Oh yeah. You know, somebody calls you a name and you're like, you got to flip around and yeah. you're like, Oh yeah. You know, like, like you don't have to fight just because somebody like, it's just a word. Like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Are you really in danger? No. Yeah. You know, there's always the ego. that tough line. I think that's like one of the harder things teaching kids of like, when that bully and when that word, yeah. when you actually might need to stand up to yourself physically, I think so many of it, the kids, you know, it's just brutal. I mean, we didn't grow up. I mean, there was plenty of bullying and that type of stuff. And whether it's good natured or just bully themselves, bullies being bullies mm -hmm. of like, when do you stand up to that bully? It's such a hard line to teach kids of, you know, when that mental abuse, cause it's so sad yeah. to see kids yeah. that are being bullied and then they commit suicide. Wow. Or they just go down the wrong path and, you yeah. know, I mean, you don't want to, drugs and alcohol are terrible, but man, there's some ter really terrible stuff out there now. I yeah, mean, that's one of my biggest fears is, you know, the drugs my, that are out there now are just scary. Well, my, my kids, my youngest, you know, I'm worried, you know, about bullying, you know, I'm, I'm worried, you know, they're at a good age now, but I can kind of see the playground harassment you know, starting just based on their attitudes when they come home, well, so-and-so said this and so, and I'm like, oh, here we go. We're, we're starting this whole thing. And, you know, what's it going to be like in seventh grade or eighth grade? Or, they have you know, it so rough now with the social media and kids posting yeah. on them. You're like, there's no, you can't even go home unless you burn your phone or don't even look mm -hmm. at it, but somebody's going to show you, even if you, right. you know, some show you that phone, but I'm like, they've got to learn to deal with that world. Cause unless the grid goes down, yeah. You know, they've got to learn to navigate that world. I know myself with my kids, I'm like, you know, well, I want to get in touch with them. They've got to learn how to navigate the phone at a younger age because yeah. it's, you know, it's there. And then they're going to go to college and then they're going to be the kid that's just, well, I spent two, the first two years wasting thousands and thousands of dollars and they're playing video games on the phone when 
money's on the line now. Don't yeah. I'm always yeah. like, I don't want them navigating college and just trying to learn how to navigate social media. Like they're <laughs> exactly. gonna they're gonna blow up at that point. So well, it's also you know the world we live in where everybody's looking at a screen. And uh, I've been working a lot of hospitals lately, and it's the weirdest thing for me to. I see the staff walking through the hospital, always looking at their phones. And I don't know if it's work related or not, but it's like everybody is on their phone. And, um, you know, I worry about that with my kids as well. Uh, we don't have phones for them yet, but, um, one of the boys is really stuck to his tablet and he likes playing games on his tablet. And so, you know, it's like, we, we leave the house to go somewhere and he's got his tablet and he's staring at his tablet and I have to tell him, Hey, get off your tablet, look around, you know, pay attention. You know, and I, I don't know how else to say it, but I'm like, there might be some weirdos around the corner. And if you don't yeah. see them coming, you know, like, how are you going to know what to do? Yeah. It might or just take you and grab you. I don't know. Somebody, jo <laughs> somebody jogging on the street or somebody yeah. on their phone, on their car, pay attention. Yeah. I, yeah. It's hard. I mean, I always tell the kids in class, like you, you you're not going to beat the algorithm. It's going to keep you on that. You've yeah. got to be dis. You've got to come up with a discipline of saying, I'm going to do this for an hour, whatever it is. And then it's got to go away. And I think that's what, you know, when they're that young, you got to take it away from them and, yeah. you know, set some monitoring that set that time limit, you know, there's different apps out there, but otherwise, I mean, you can't, I mean, just look at the adults, like endlessly scrolling when they tell you, I don't have time to work out. And I'm like, here you are, single dad, working a job, yeah, what? getting the kids ready, making it to your workout when you're there, making it to your class that you're coaching. Like, get out. You have the time. Yeah. And these things suck your And taking your my kids money. with me. Like, I have to do everything. Uh, it just recently got freed up a little bit where they're spending more time with their mom. But, you know, in the beginning of all this, it was rough because it was like, hey, I – you know, the kids are coming with me to the gym. I hope that's all right. And luckily was, for yeah, me, I'm it's great. Like, but I mean, it's like, you know, hey, go sit over here, be quiet. And, you know, I'm trying to train or teach and then my kids are fighting or, you know, it's like <laughs> trying to give the uh, adults a good ex ex experience in their class while I'm teaching, yet I'm still having to be a father at the same time. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of juggling acts going on, you know, in that. But, you know, I'm not, by any means, I'm not special. I mean, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, if you're a parent, whether you're married and you, you're co-parenting or whatever it is, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, it's, you're not special for taking care of your kids. You know what I mean? That's, that's something that, yeah, that's um, something you're supposed to do. Yeah. You're, you, that's, that's natural. <laughs> yeah. Know? And so many people parent with the uh, tablet or the TV, you know, whatever it is. I mean, back when we were kids, it was, you know, your kids were sitting in front of the TV. I mean, it's all That's relatively the that. same. Those shows are, you know, suck you in. I can think of all the TV shows I used to watch. And, you know, I mean, might I even get off the TV, but it's similar. I mean, those TV TV shows sucked you in time and time again. I just told my kids the other day, um, and I've said this a couple times to them, but um, they were upset because I wanted to watch something, you know, I wanted to watch the news in the living room and I have a TV in my bedroom and that's it. We have the one in the living room, one in my bedroom. The boys don't have anything in their bedroom. That's good. But they're like, can I watch this? I go, no, I'm going to watch the news now. And they start copping an attitude. And I go, you know what? When I was a kid, 
I had to watch whatever my parents were watching. We didn't have TVs all over the house. Yeah. We had one television in the living room and that was it. That was it. And I didn't get to sit on the couch. I had to sit on the floor and, you know, watch mm. TV, lay on the floor or whatever. You know, it, it was like, if there was room, like if my, if, you know, stepdad wasn't laying on the couch smoking cigarettes, then maybe I could sit on the couch with him. But, yeah. You know, he, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that yeah, sounds kind of harsh, think, but. Yeah. And it's true. I'm like, if you're in dad's lazy boy, you're getting up. It's not, well, I was here first. I'm yeah. like, dude, get up. It's like sometimes just kids and I'm like, nope, that's where I sit. Lucky we don't have a lazy boy, but uh, like, no, I'm the man of the family. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, you're a boy. You're sitting on the floor. You're, you're, yeah. you're over there. The older, yeah. I mean, or you're some my of that spot. stuff, that's, people are like, oh, this is my spot. I, you know, I get it. I don't know. Good or bad. It's crazy. Yeah. I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, clearsky-online.com. You can get all your gear. Uh, we've got a great new inventory, some new stuff on our suck less line. Train more, suck less, be better is what that is all about. And Prestige Labs, as a gym owner, I was had given up really on supplements and carrying supplements. Prestige Labs is absolutely fantastic. I've noticed a big difference. I've tried a lot of things. One of my big things I've been talking about is their pre-workout. That is fantastic. And that's from a fan, uh, or I am not a fan of pre-workouts and theirs are fantastic. You can add the caffeine if you want it in there, or you don't have to if you don't want that caffeine, which I think is fantastic because so many pre-workouts are just heavily loaded with the um, caffeine in there. So there's some fantastic stuff. You can check the description of the podcast for what I use every day. Hell. Yeah, caffeine. That's my vice now. I love, oh, I love an Americano. Oh, if I don't have my Americano, forget it. Yeah, I can take a five hour energy and go to bed. Like it, caffeine, like I take so much now. It's like, maybe I should cut back a little bit. I know I've been trying to, well, I was doing pretty good. I try to cut back and just do two Americanos in the morning. And I just hit a rough patch. I was doing really good this summer. And I was like listening to Andrew Huberman. I'm like, okay, I'm all about sleep, you know, being... 50 even a guy i don't think i slept great in my 40s i think i started to be like oh my gosh i'm just not sleeping as well <laughs> as i used to right and i was trying to cut out the caffeine in the afternoon but i it crept back in there but you know trying to have it earlier in the afternoon i think is definitely better he's got a great yeah. episode on caffeine so as I don't, everybody yeah. knows I, I think for me it's like i'm just so used to like i have a cup of coffee in the morning i get to work and I have a five hour energy just to kind of make it through the day. You know, I try to, by the time I get home, get the kids from school. Um, you know, let's say it's Tuesday night. I got to teach Tuesday night. I get home, I cook them dinner, try to get them fed. They have class as well before the adult class. But there's, there's times where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Like I am ready. I could go to bed right now. I still have to go down to the gym. I still got to teach. So I'm like, all right, five hour energy again. Come down here, I wake up, yeah, everything's great. Go home, finally eat dinner, like 8.30. I eat dinner, you know, after I do all this stuff because I don't want to be, whether I'm working out or I'm teaching, like I just feel like eating later for me helps. I might have a little snack beforehand. And then, boom, go to bed, you know, and it's, that's it. Yeah, up again. What time do you get up? Um, I, I used to get up super early, uh, but now I'm, I'm up at five. So yeah. It's not too bad. 
Yeah, that's why that's why I feel I get up at five. Yeah, it's not too bad at all. I this. used to get up at three thirty. Uh, back when I was lifting, I would get up at three thirty, <laughs> go to the gym, throw some iron around, and then go to work, and then come in and do krav, you know. And then, yeah, it was like, I, I wanted to, I don't have the time because I have the kids now, but I wanted, I was trying to transform myself. I wanted to be the human pit bull. Like, I, yeah. was like, I just want to be, you know, this machine, you know, but it's such hard work too. And it's so hard on my joints. Yeah. My elbows were killing me and, you know, I was doing heavy lifting and it's like, well, you're doing a manual labor job. You're yeah. And it's, it's don't get me wrong. It's not always hard labor, but, um, it's a lot of mental, you know, it's a mix between mental and physical work, but yeah, yeah. it's, you're moving all day. That is one thing I'm blessed to have is a, a physical job where I'm on my feet all day. I'm not at, sitting, you know, at a, at a desk or whatever, which is great for a lot of people, yeah, but it for keeps me, you young. I think I'm just not a sit behind a desk type of guy. You know, I'd be falling asleep and yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Like I got to get up and move. I said, like one good thing with the, the breaks in my day that you're not just there. I mean, some days you are, and you're like, okay, I just got to get up and do something. Yeah. Like you get yeah. sucked into work and getting a lot of stuff done and you're, I'm like, ah, but I'm like, just get up and do something or God, the, the cold plunge always wakes me up in the afternoon. I'm sure. So I'm like, I'm usually <laughs> tired there. Like, Ooh, all right, I got to go. Like, all right, got to get through the kids classes, get that energy back. Yeah. And it's one thing on those days. I'm like, okay, that yeah. dopamine rush from. And coaching is, you know, it's, you definitely have to, you have to give yourself to that, you know, that yeah, class. it takes a lot of it takes energy. A lot. And depending on what you're doing. I mean, like you said, the kids class, I mean, I've seen it firsthand watching you in the kids class or just helping you. And it's like, man, those kids, it's a lot are, of mental energy. I can, sometimes sure. people see it and sometimes they don't. And you're like, it, it's exhausting mentally. It takes a lot out of you. And mm -hmm. I think myself as an introvert, like sometimes it's, you know, I think in any coach, you know, talking to my coach Thomas on the previous episode, um, two weeks ago, you know, how much the toll of 40 years that he had of coaching took on, like it, you know, and it, it takes away from your family. Yeah. And that's why I love having guys like you that are dedicated, disciplined, you know, love Krav Maga and are passionate about it, that it's given me back time with my daughter, especially now in the last couple of years where she's almost gone, Yeah, that at yeah. least I'm home and kind of being like a normal dad. Yeah. A little bit because so much of what we do is until eight o'clock at night, eight thirty, and you know all those previous years, you know I was there sometimes in the morning more than maybe the regular dad, but then I wasn't around for dinner. Yeah, because you're at the gym. That's the lifestyle. That's the job, and I, I think it's really taxing on the family. It's taxing on you. I mean, sometimes I come home I'm like, yeah, I your relationships I just, too possibly. I mean, it's like, you know, you're. If you're always gone, you're always doing whatever it is you're doing, whether it's coaching or, you know, running your own business or even in my trade, you know, there's a lot of the bosses, you know, the superintendents and stuff, they put in a lot of hours and they're, they're the first ones on the, the job in the morning, last ones to leave. And they're working crazy hours, even at home. And it's like some of those guys, you know, their marriages fall apart. Yeah. And, it's hard, you know, so being able to balance that, that's something, Yeah, that's a whole nother subject that you know, yeah, getting sure. on of like how to be that man. And then, you know, be the husband and treat yeah. her like a girlfriend, all that. It, 
it is hard. I'm, you know, it's, it's difficult. So we could go off, but I wanted before we wrapped up Mm -hmm. to kind of ask you, you know, from, from your experience as an enforcer in a biker gang, Mm -hmm. um, how you feel that, you know, how Krav Maga translates to the stuff that you saw there compared to some of the sports systems. Not that I love sports systems. They're fantastic. Don't get me wrong if you're out there doing a sports system. I think it's fantastic. But sometimes those sports systems don't get what we're about in Krav Maga. We're training for a day we hope never comes. It's street fighting. Yeah. And how do you feel like the the Krav Maga system coming in, like from being a beginner, you know, related to your experience for sure. I, I, so I think I have a unique perspective on that because of the uh, the motorcycle world uh, in that background. There's a lot of paranoia um, in that that group of people, and I think a lot of it is self uh, inflicted. But you know, when you're when you're playing cops and robbers all the time, um, of course you're going to be looking over your shoulder constantly, right? So that in itself and and being that guy uh one of many um in the club who was an enforcer watching people's movements reading body language um watching their hands and knowing who's drinking too much in the bar that sort of thing you know has translated well for me um in the training here and as far as the system goes it's based on my experience it's reality i mean it's it's from you know go either a preemptive uh attack or self-defense but it's reading the situation reading your environment and knowing understanding danger um when it's lurking you know whether that's you know as you're leaving the store and you've got someone following you behind you and you can see the reflection in the glass like who is this guy he's been you know he was over at the bread aisle with me a second ago and then i saw him again over near the milk and now he's right behind me like knowing little stuff like that, how to read it and just know like how to turn that switch on, man. I think yeah, it's to important. Be, know when not to turn yeah, on the switch. To be aware. Important. I mean, yeah. having that experience from that lifestyle. So like where people, you know, that shooter coming in, like so much people are, you know, these days like active shooter of yeah. like pegging that person that they don't seem right. So many people just turn a blind eye to it it's you know scary including the parents but that's another subject there with these some of these active shooters or the people that were surrounding them but being aware of somebody coming in just to the grocery store i mean yeah i tell them like sometimes when i am quiet which is a lot because you know when i'm not teaching krav maga i don't talk a lot and uh we're after that shooting here in colorado in the grocery store and i'm like i don't know how many times i've run scenarios walking around the grocery store just yeah watching people yeah like even i I think it was funny and i was like i don't i was just in the grocery store on it must have been sunday and there was um three or four boys kind of walking fast but they all had ties on (laughs) probably coming from church but i was like boom and they're all walking fast i'm like i don't know i'm just being no they're fine you can didn't see anything on them, but it was just weird. There's not, there's another one walking fast and you're like, yeah, are they coming around? What's up? Yeah, You know, but like, what's up, but just being aware of like, wait a second, there's like four guys in here. They're kind of mm-hmm. young. Well, you know, it's you funny. Know, are they coming I, from church or is this, you know, I heard Bill Anderson, uh, kind of touch on this a little bit, how stressful it can be, uh, being out in public. 
And I totally relate to that because here I am, you know, with two little boys in tow and we go to the grocery store and I am scanning and I'm trying to keep these little, you know, hellions with me, you know, they, they're kids, man, they're going to do what they're going to do, but I'm watching and I'm trying to shop and I'm trying to pay attention to them and trying to pay attention to whoever. And I've noticed, you know, there's oftentimes it's weird. It's happened more than once. There's a group of men that are pretending, I think, pretending to be shopping, but I'm like, they're not shopping and they keep roaming around the store and I'll see like, you know, two of them over here, maybe three over here. And then I make my way around the grocery store and all of a sudden they're together. And I'm like, so I'm like, I don't know, are these traffickers? You know, I'm, am I paranoid? I don't know, but I'm yeah. paying attention. I'm like, get over here, stay with me, you know, to the kids. And yeah. It's stressful, you know? It's, yeah. It's like, just there's all sorts weird. of, sorts of stuff like that. I mean, now with a, uh, last spring break when we we're down in Key West now with my daughter looking older and older, yeah. um, you know, she's just about 17 here. And, Turned you know, last like year, like, you know, we had walked around this, um, you know, restaurant bar kind of thing in Key West. And this guy kind of like around, he was probably 40, maybe 30, kind of, I don't know if he was about to, I think he said hi to my daughter and uh, she laughed at him yeah. a little bit like in there, but then I'm coming up behind and he looks at me and I think it was just one of those times, like, be dangerous. He took a look yeah. at me and I looked at him and there was no weakness. Yeah. And there was no, I didn't need to say a single word to him because you could see that he almost wanted to say something. Right. And he's seeing dad come up behind, <laughs> but I didn't need to see it, say a single yeah. thing. It was just that yeah. look of like, oh, believe me. I know. I'm, go ahead. Yeah. I've got two daughters myself and, and they're both, you know, in, in my humble opinion, very beautiful. And it's, yeah, believe me, as a, as that dad, you know, it's like, mm, you, that energy comes out of you. You're like, oh, you know, yep. you want to be that, that guy, do you? Yeah, yeah it's that <laughs> that one thing of having her, if she, you know, she has confidence. I, I wish she would train more, but yeah. um, she does have that from a little kid. Like, I, I will punch, I will punch them. I will hit them <laughs> like... She's not afraid cool. that way and just having that confidence. But, you know, yeah. as we know, you should be training more and training more. But sometimes it is just the confidence. But where do you find that confidence? You that's know, right. it's got to come from somewhere. And that's where I always like get your kids into a martial art. Get them into Krav Maga. They're not finding yeah. their sport. You know, they can find a healthy lifestyle and they can find confidence mm -hmm. In themselves, and it's helped me tremendously. I mean, I, I suffered my whole life with a low self esteem, um, based on you know believing all the lies that were told about yeah. me as a kid. And I'll tell you, um, coming in here, you know, it was at first I felt you know oh, I'm not part of you know I was kind of that negative talk like I'm not part of the cool guy group or whatever because there was the more advanced students at that time. And I remember coming in and as as you know, you had your program set up a little bit differently, but I could come in and sit and uh, I'd come in early and watch that advanced class. And I would try to, you know, soak it in and, and be, be as, you know, just knowledgeable in what I'm seeing and then trying to translate that in my own, you know, beginner training back then. And, yeah. You know, it's, I think I've been lucky uh, just having a creative mind because in, in the Krav world, for me, like I'm always trying to be creative on how, I don't know how to say it really other than, you know, like 
how to hurt people in a creative way, like, you know, how to defend myself in a more creative way. And sometimes you test it out and it doesn't work. You're like, okay, that's okay. Let's yeah. stick to the basics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. Let's just stick to punching yeah. you know, or whatever. I think there's been a time or two. I'm like, what was that, Jordy? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, but yeah, you got to try stuff out and it's got to be, yeah, you know. It's better here. You know? Yeah. You know, Pete Bershaw, like from uh, Vegas, Trial mm. by Fire, when yeah. I was talking to him on the podcast, you know, like one of his instructors train ugly, you know? And yeah. That's a good, I mean, I've always felt that way of like, it doesn't need to be pretty. Yeah. It just, who cares? Yeah. Like, Make those mistakes here. So many people are tied up to the movies and yeah, just, you know, watching YouTube and, mm -hmm. Oh, it looks pretty. And the attacker's not fighting back. I'm like, it's ugly. It doesn't, yeah. you know, even when we're training under stress, I think see things I do wrong all the time or could have done better. But you're like, I'm, it's realities. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know. I think you did something to me a couple of weeks ago and you're just like, shit. And you have to boom, readjust. But there's that moment of it's it's ugly. Well, it's that's not pretty. That's the awesome thing about Krav is to me, I see it, it's like it's a problem solving issue. Things come up. And you have to figure out, it's, it's like a puzzle. You got to figure out how to solve that problem. What do you got to do to plug in certain, you know, tools yeah. to solve the issue? Yeah. I was just what's the issue? You're getting choked out. Okay. Well, am I on the ground? Am I face down in the mud? Or, you know, what's the issue? And then you got to figure out how to solve that without going into panic mode and freezing or whatever. Yeah. You know? Being able to flow and having, mm -hmm. having that training to fall back on. But yeah, it got ugly because it was gone from the front and then, Things changed yeah. and I've got to go on the fly and stay out of the line of fire and try to stick to those principles of the technique. Yeah. But you, you do have to kind of plug and play yeah. different things and you just got to train. So like in beginners, I'm like, you just got to do it more. It translates into coaching too. I mean, it's, I remember in the very early days of me coming in and really not having the confidence as a, uh, as an instructor, but I would write everything down like, okay, 10 minutes of this, seven minutes here. And you know, I'm like, that doesn't work for me. And yeah. so now it's like, I think about it and I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, I don't know. We'll try this. But then you have to read your class too. You know, like who's, yeah. who's there? Is it an odd or even number? Is it, you know, who's more physically able to do certain things than others? And so you got to kind of yeah. solve that problem. You know, yeah, that's a tough, tough aspect. Like you can know the system, but then you're going to know people. Yeah. You know, yeah. your coaching is so difficult and it is, it's draining yeah. to just coach a class. I don't think people realize you know, what goes yeah. into it sometimes. And oh, I just, love coaching. I'm, I'm glad you gave me that opportunity, man. So, no, you're, oh, you're you. wonderful. I'm yeah. probably a good place. I know you've got stuff to do today um, to just, wrap it up here. Just I, more coffee, you know? Yeah, just more coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, thanks for taking the time, Jordy. I know you got a busy schedule. Well, thanks for having um, me. I appreciate definitely it. have you back on and cool. feel like we could, you know, of course, keep talking and keep yeah. talking about, you know, just life in general and Krav Maga. For but sure. You're definitely... Um, been a fantastic guest. I think people are going to like your story and it just goes to show like it doesn't matter what life throws at you. You can still make a change and that, yeah. you know, you can decide that I'm not going to do this. That's the key and word. Decide. Like, I've got to decide instead of saying like we were talking just before we hit record of I've got bad genetics. Oh, my dad's fat. I'm like, well, your dad's been, hasn't mm -hmm. been living a healthy lifestyle his whole life. Mm -hmm. 
and just people making excuses. And yeah, uh, that's what fat. I love about you. You never make an excuse. I've got fat family members too. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so do I. And you're like, you never make an excuse. And I think that's why, you know, you've made it so far and you're, you know, I see you growing as a coach, oh, as a, you. as a student. And I think, you know, hopefully you'll pass that second degree test there. Yeah, hopefully. And the, you know what, whether I do or not is irrelevant because I'm, I mean, I want to, but don't get me wrong, but, uh, I'll still be here. You know? Yeah. It's Regardless. the journey. And that's the, yeah, that's exactly the, so. you know, I'm giving you shit, but yeah, it's exactly the answer of like, it doesn't matter Yeah, if I fail. Like so many people really quit. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. you told me what, or you've said it a couple of times, like, I, you know, I could knock you down the white belt. I'm like, well, I'll still be the same fighter. You know? yeah, I'll be the same. <laughs> I will. Yeah, yeah, it really, it doesn't matter. It's the person inside <laughs> of it. That's for sure. So, and it doesn't matter. You're like, how long it takes you. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks right a on, lot man. for joining us. This has been the John Hallett podcast. I want to thank our sponsor revgear.com. They've got fantastic items, prestige labs. You can find them on clear sky hyphen online. That's going to get you a big discount on an affiliate site. When you visit clear sky hyphen online and visit nutrition tab, that it's going to click on there. You're going to get right to our Prestige Lab store. You can also find some great merch and swag. Some new winter hats are on there. Suck less stuff. And if you're in the Douglas County, Castle Rock area, come on in to Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness. You are definitely going to gain some confidence training with us and have some real world self-defense and fighting skills. And we are here to help bullyproof your kids. So rmsdf.com, come on in. Jordy and I would love yeah. to have you. Come on in. We'll love to meet you. All right. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Don't forget to share this with a friend. Follow us. We'd love to have you back on the John Hallett Podcast. Have a great day, guys.